This is Getting the Bread with Carla Cafe. On this podcast, we'll be diving deep with members of the Carla community about what makes them tick and their journeys to getting their bread. We're here with Brett Chody, the first corporate, quote unquote, employee for Carla Cafe, a longtime customer, avid supporter, uh, turned into a really important part of our team. So uh, she's new to it, but so far very high impact. Um, And we also have Megan Chody here, her mother, of Garrett Popcorn and of Chody Real Estate. And most importantly, mother to Hannah, Elle, and Brett. I think what I'm fascinated by specifically with Megan and also Lance, who's not here with us today, that's Brett's father, is parenting. I think they did uh, a really incredible job with their daughters. And I think parenting, I think probably for all of us will be, or those of us that choose to pursue it will be probably one of the most difficult endeavors. I think it's something that is probably impossible to, to perfect but you try to pursue that perfection and you guys have done a great job. So I think we want to tap into that a little bit. I think we'll have to start with your story of maybe your own personal story until the point you met Lance and then we'll kind of then progress into the future and we'll get into parenting. Oh, amazing. Um, I was a very extroverted child. I was what they used to call a show-off, and I definitely liked to um, be the center of attention. And that led me from childhood to adulthood until I met Lance Chody to sort of date, serial date the same type of guy, like the funny guy in the room, and just chase that guy to the ends of the earth when he had no interest in me. And at some point, thankfully, at like 24, I met my husband in the commercial real estate business and he walked into a meeting and shook my hand and I believe in this and people will think I'm crazy, but I said to myself, this is the guy I'm gonna marry. And he was completely different than anybody else I had ever dated in my life. Super quiet, self-made, not interested in the nonsense that I had had up until that point in my life. And we, he had a rule that he never dated anybody in the real estate industry because the industry is too small. So he laughs and says that he broke that rule with me, ergo he had to marry me. <laughs> and um, we were very lucky. We got pregnant with our first daughter, Hannah, Um, We thought she was a honeymoon baby, but that didn't happen. But quickly, (laughs) in California, which is sort of funny that now we're back here. And, um, you know, parenting is a gift, and I think we both think of it that way. Like what you said, it's a choice, and some of us um, don't have that choice happen for us. And so I really appreciate that um, we've been blessed with three daughters, and our mantra is that they're not ours, they're rented and our job is to just get them ready to be their own humans. Wow. Well, I see a lot of parents pursue things that might not have happened in their lives through their children, mm-hmm. and that is hazardous, I think. And um, for instance, with Brett, when she landed at USC in our first meeting with the USC track coach, she asked the room of parents and 
student athletes, how many parents here have been your kid's coach? And every hand went up in the room besides me and Lance. And Coach Carroll said, well, now you're all retired. <laughs> and we liked that because you can't parent and coach. You have to choose. And um, we let our kids pursue various different things. Each daughter has very different talents and interests. And we just tried to make space for all of that. I want to get back to some of that, but we're, let's, let's start by backing up a little bit to career. So when you were doing commercial real estate, you were doing strictly commercial? Yes, only. I sold my husband um, my very first shopping center. And the way our sort of love affair, if you will, Brett's probably gagging, we were, we, there was a thing in the late 80s called car care centers, and Sears Tire and Battery would anchor this center and then you would fill it with an oil guy, oil and lube guy, a dry cleaner, a subway, always. And uh, we were going in front of a zoning board in Glendale Heights, Illinois, which is a very blue collar suburb where the entire um, municipality and trustees were smoking cigarettes during our meetings. And so I just was a really eager, um, straight commission real estate person so I went to all the meetings and Lance presented and then we would go to this little bar and play pool and drink beer afterwards and then one night he kissed me and I said okay well I know where you live so when you don't live there anymore you can do that again because he was engaged to another person <laughs> um, but commercial real estate taught me a lot especially with having three daughters and being in a man's world mm -hmm. My husband has a very deep voice. They are very unintimidated by men. They are comfortable with silence because my husband, um, you know, he who speaks first loses, and he's won many deals just by not speaking. Like, people offer him more money and do other things. And so I've learned from that because I would always fill the airtime because I go back to who I was as a child. And so as I'm processing things, I'm learning to be comfortable with silence, too. Wow. Well, that's something me and Jessica talk about all the time too, the trying to learn to talk less, be, be comfortable with that, you know? So you were 24 at the time. I mean, that's pretty young to have a budding career in real estate. I had, a, I had a mentor, which is amazing. My mom and I lived in this little condominium complex in Barrington, Illinois, and the guy next door, they lived in the city and they would come out and stay at their condo on the weekends. It was like a, a country house for them, if you will. And he was an old Xerox guy, no, IBM. And he just always took a shine to me and every time that he was over, we'd sit on our balcony and have a drink. And one day I was going out for a run and he said, so Megan, are you ready to make money? Because I had been working for Dale Carnegie training at that point and still living at home, straight commission and making ends meet, but certainly not thriving. And he encouraged me to cold call some people at um, Colwell Banker Real Estate, Colwell Banker Commercial. The name has changed so many times. I don't even remember what it was called when I was back in the day. And I interviewed with seven different men and they offered me the job on one condition. They said, we have cut slash the training um, budget and you have to start straight commission. And I was like, well, I'm already doing that, so why not? And I, my first deal was a dry cleaner and I made a commission of $396. I was so excited and then it all went to errors and omissions insurance. <laughs> so I learned the hard way. But then, you know, you just kept 
kept at it, dialed for dollars, found a guy selling a shopping center, sold it to Lance, made a tremendous windfall in 1987 of $40,000, and, you know, just gave me a little name in the industry, if you will, rather than this just young punk out there, and um, kept I'm still now the managing broker of Chody Real Estate. So I take, I hold the license and keep my toe in it from time to time. But as Jess could tell you, commercial real estate is not something you dabble in. You really have to be full time and deeply involved and make connections, just like your broker that Carla is working with. I mean, I've been seeing his signs for 20 years in Los Angeles, and it just shows you that you really have to, you have to know the owner of every block and what you can do with all of that information, and information is power. And then, so, when you meet Lance at 24, what had his career been up until that point? Oh, that's a great story. He um, grew up in a small town out right south of O'Hare in Chicago, and his mother and father each had competing residential real estate companies, sort of like the Hatfields and McCoys. So there was Norman Realty and Chody Realty. And Lance's parents, who, God bless them, are both 91 and they've been married 71 years, are um, still with us and still lucid and so interested. And they started dating in high school and got married and the rest is history. So it's Lance always went to the office with his father who happened to be a CPA and he learned how to you know, balance the books for whatever properties they owned. And when Lance got out of college, he didn't wanna work for anybody. And he ended up doing what I just talked about, like canvassing blocks and finding out apartment building owners. And he figured out a way to buy his first, um, I think it was a four flat, which is a Chicago term for four apartments. And he bought it, and the funny story is that um, it burned to the ground (laughs) a few years later. And he got all the insurance money, and that led him to um, build his first office building in Schaumburg, Illinois. And he just quietly created sort of a real estate empire and um, met a really great business attorney and real estate attorney who also happened to be Rich Melman of Let Us Entertain You, which is a huge restaurant group in Chicago, used the same attorney. And Rich was buying Garrett popcorn from the Garrett family and reneged on the deal. And Lance was talking to his attorney on a Friday and Lance said, tell the Garrett family, I'll pay what he was paying and I'll close in 30 days. Okay, so what, what what was his interest? What was his interest in in buying Garrett Popcorn? Well, there are two stories. The first is the real story that Lance saw the amazing opportunity of this four-shop dynasty that people would queue up for hours to have their Garrett Popcorn. And Lance knew that there was so much more to the brand. Um, Crane Chicago Business, when they found out that it had sold, called him and said, we want to interview you. And Lance said, I I don't want to do interviews. And they said, well you can either talk to us or we're going to go find out the information ourselves. So Lance came home that night and said, well, Cranes wants to interview me and I don't want to really tell them anything. What should I tell them why I bought it? And I said, tell them I craved two things when I was pregnant, Garrett popcorn and Superdog. And Superdog wasn't for sale. And that is in print. You can Google it to this day that that's the reason Lance bought Garrett popcorn. (laughs) 
Which was true? Was that part true? The craving part? 100%. I would go to the doctor to get weighed in, wouldn't eat that day or until that appointment, and then we would go right to a Garrett shop. What was your order? What would you get? I am always the Garrett mix, heavier in the cheese corn than the caramel crisp. Okay. My ratio is like three cheese corn kernels to one okay. caramel crisp kernel. Okay. Secret. All right, we got to try that. <laughs> so what year was that? 2006. Okay. Okay. And then Garrett had been around for how long at that point? Since 1949. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was the first shop in Chicago. Um, what's important to me, being a mother of three females as well, is that it is the Garrett female lineage that is so important and that we're honoring as well. Grandma Garrett created the Caramel Crisp recipe in her kitchen. It was a family contest to see who could make the best caramel corn. And she won, and they named it Caramel Crisp. And then she started originally selling it in Milwaukee. And then the family moved to Chicago, and then the next generation female opened the first shop on Madison, um, Madison Street in Chicago in 1949. And then she had her daughter running it until we bought it. So now that I've stepped back from mothering as much as I did. Uh -huh. Lance has pulled me in, and I am actually the owner of Garrett Popcorn Shops oh, wow. with my three daughters. Oh, my God. Oh my God. That's amazing. Did you know that, right? No. <laughs> awesome. I literally am learning so many things. Well, Brett, you still needed to work, okay? <laughs> So what was the trajectory? So they, they opened the first one in Milwaukee. Uh, no, in Wisconsin? Yes, Milwaukee, know? Wisconsin. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And they closed that, they closed that one yeah, originally? Couple, yeah, there's a couple cousins that opened sort of their own version of it um, in a couple different places. Um, but the move to Chicago is what really changed the brand. What we love about the brand since its inception to today is that we have fans like Oprah Winfrey and Kris Jenner, and we were recently in the Kardashian package for their new Hulu, Hulu series, but we also have Chicago bus drivers that come every Friday with their same order, and our team knows their name, and this ability to have something that brings joy in a world where there isn't a lot of joy right now is something we take very seriously. We actually call ourselves stewards of the brand more than owners. It's not about me and Lance. People have always asked, like, oh, we're going to put you on, you know, Chicago Magazine. We want to see your house. We want to see your wine collection. And Lance is like, nothing is bigger than the brand. I think that's true. That resonates with me. I feel like it's its own organism and steward is a is a great word is i have a responsibility to guide it and to help it grow but it's its own thing it feels like its own entity its own life you know so moving to chicago changed its trajectory but do you think that had more to do with the the next generation that that was leading it at that time or you think it's something specific to Chicago something about the town great question Chicagoans are very proud of their city and their things so when Lance bought the company the first thing he did was committed to opening two locations in New York City and people were pissed mm -hmm. there were radio shows like what what are they doing why are they giving Garrett another city that is a Chicago tradition so when we realized that backlash from our fans, but 
that didn't stop them from coming, but there was just a lot of chatter. And this is 2006, 2007. It's not like social media existed, so if you didn't hear it on the radio, you didn't really know. But we, and I've shared this with you before, we sort of took the Danny Meyer approach. Then we decided to build the business from the outside in. We um, found a partner and opened in Dubai and Singapore and Hong Kong to tremendous acclaim. We've since bought out that partner and bought back the business fully, so we own it all ourselves. And so we have locations in Malaysia, Singapore, Japan, Hong Kong, Dubai, one more, oh, Korea. So it's really exciting, and what's fun is that the fans are very different, but when Lance and I go over there, we talk about we're bringing a, a taste of Chicago to them. They may never come to Chicago. You ask them, they think of three things, Al Capone, Michael Jordan, Garrett Popcorn. And that's really good company, I think. Well, when I was there, I, I did the Kanye West, Michael Jordan, and Garrett Popcorn. <laughs> that's my generation. Exactly. <laughs> But people like to make these connections of a city and a brand or, you know, an entity. So that's cool. That's cool to be a part of that. Yeah. So what's it like operating locations from such a far distance? We have a tremendous team and the pandemic really proved that because so much was shut down, especially in Asia. Lance and I were in Singapore when the first outbreak happened and it was right next door to where our corporate, if you will, headquarters are. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we were gonna be there for six months, Brett was gonna come and visit, and I was getting a Metro card, I was at the post office, I was in the food courts, I was in the, the stalls, and then COVID hits and we were all, what what's going on, what is happening? And then our insurance um, provider called us and said, you two can't be in a hot zone at the same time. <laughs> you got to get out of there. So the funny story is that we decided to Wait, go. Can I tell the story? Because yeah. <laughs> I'm sick in L.A. at this point. And I swear to God, I think that this is COVID before COVID hit. But I'm at a Din Tai Fung. And I get this, like, cryptic text from my dad. And he's like, we're all good. Like, we're just going to stop in Milan because we want to go to Fashion Week. And, like, then we're going to figure it out. And I told my parents, like, please don't go to Asia. Because COVID was a thing, just not in the States. Yeah. And, like, only in Wuhan. Right. So, um, and then... So then they go from Singapore to Milan for Fashion Week because they love Milan. They have friends there, like, whatever. And then they're like, okay, we're going to come back to the States because, like, it's getting worse and worse. And they come to New York, and then they go home. And literally, the path of COVID traveled in that exact line. And to this day, like, they never had antibodies and whatever. But the fact that they went from Singapore to then Milan, I'm surprised you guys didn't get it, quite frankly. And then I came home from USC, and we were like, oh, should we still go to Cabo next week? Because <laughs> I was supposed to go to Singapore for spring break. And then we were like, oh, no, but, like, Cabo will be fine. And then three days later, it's like the world is shut down. Yeah. We couldn't leave the country because we didn't know if we'd get back in, yeah. which seems so long ago, but it seems like five minutes yeah, ago yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The last two years are weird, like timing wise. Was, was that team in place from when you, when you bought it back or did you guys have to build the Some team? Some were, and then they brought in additionally good people. 
And that's one of the things that is important to us, and I know you get this as a small business owner. We really are a small business. Mm -hmm. We may be a global brand, but we are small and mighty. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of funny. I call corporate brand support center. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that we're what's important. What's important is the person making Garrett, mm -hmm. the 20-year Ghanan cook that's been with us mm -hmm. making caramel crisp every day, lifting heavy bags of brown sugar, our front of the house people hand crafting and hand mixing the Garrett mix. And I know you get this with Carla. Like, you're only as good as your worst sandwich or my worst batch of mm -hmm. yeah. anything. Uh -huh. And our, now our fans tell us, right? Like you used to just be like, oh, whatever. Now it's all like, Arr. so if you think about it like that, then you're remaining true to your mission and you're remaining true to your authenticity of your brand. And that what is what makes your brand beloved, in my opinion. We work really hard at providing, and we never hold anything over. So if you're at a Garrett shop at 9.55 at night and it's closing at 10 and the only bin that has anything left is cheese corn that's all we're serving you and if we're not we're not holding that cheese mm -hmm. corn until tomorrow are there are there major challenges with quality control with popcorn we hot air pop each kernel we have a proprietary blend that's grown for us if i told you about it i'd have to <laughs> murder you um so because we don't use oils in the popping of the kernels there's a lot less lot fewer problems if you okay. will and we don't use any preservatives so we're hand making it every day and that's why we tell our fans it's best enjoyed as soon as possible mm -hmm. because yes it'll last longer but if you really want the impact of what the Garrett mix is all about or any of the other recipes I have a friend this personal favorite is our cashew caramel crisp and he drinks it with Bouve Clicquot on Fridays, and that is his recipe, and we're good with that. And we've had other, you know, Food Network people come and create different mixes at the shop, but it's it's an individual order. Well, I think that's also why I'm so interested in your brand is because everybody makes it their own and has what's important to them, and it's really cool to be a part of people's lives like that. Like they call it the, the Megan mix or the whatever mix they want to call it. And it's just, it's very rare. And I know you get this to have something that matters to people like that. That's food. And food is the thing that puts us all together and equalizes us. And is the great um, common denominator, just the, that part of your brain and you've tapped into it, and that's why I think I'm so obsessed with your brand because Garrett does the same thing. Well, it's it's art too, you know. It, it gives it gives people feelings, right? And so, just the same way that a great movie will make you feel something, a great song will make you feel something, and great food will make you feel something. So, I feel really lucky to you know get to do that and have it resonate with people. I think just doing anything in life that resonates with other people is is powerful, right? We definitely feel lucky. It's also just not something we thought was ever going to happen, you know. Yeah. So, just not something I would have ever pursued. It, it's funny because for us, it was it's it's weird because in some way, it's something I'd play with in my head, but never in a real way. Like, I'd spend time. I think somewhere in my notepads, I could find like a menu I created of what would my ideal restaurant have, right? But I don't even think it had, like, I don't know. I don't even know if it had any menu items that we have right now. But 
it's something that I played with in my head, but it never seemed like a path I would take. Especially not, like, it would have been something, like, it would have been a fun project, right? If I was already rich. And it's like, I'll open a restaurant for fun. But getting into food is just not something I would have ever done. Well, it's a, it's a leap of faith. But I know you've got the, you know in your heart you have the goods to back it up. Well, the response the first time we sold it just made it clear, you know? So I sat there and I'm like, oh, I'm really going to get into the food business. Yes, <laughs> I'm this. It's not like I was like, it was a mixed feelings of shit. It's not what I imagined, but also it's so exciting. People's response is so exciting. How could I not pursue this? How can I not find out where this can go? And it's interesting because you guys, as a family, it's like, it's Garrett first, you know, like, like the real estate part is almost like, I remember asking Brett one time, like, Brett, what do you like, what do you think you're in terms of like your family and their income? What percent do you think is Garrett? What percent do you think is real estate from your perspective? And from her perspective, she's like, I never thought about it. But it feels like it's Garrett. <laughs> and so. Well, I think it's because Lance never needed to be that guy, especially in the commercial real estate business. He just quietly did it. And people that knew him knew that he could perform. And our family really does, the girls don't even really know what we own or what we're developing. I mean, Lance would still call himself a real estate guy. He right. just he just saw something that he to your point I can't not pursue this. I'm talking to my attorney on a Friday and this my Rich Melman isn't going to close. Tell me the number. I want it. What percent at that point do you think was like passion versus like analytical I see opportunity? We call him high finance, low romance. There's yeah. your well, answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he ju he just knew. And I remember then on Monday when they were signing papers, Michael, our attorney, said, I don't know, that's a lot of blue sky for popcorn. <laughs> and then every once in a while, I'll talk, catch Michael on a, you know, a conference call or hear him on a speakerphone. I'll go, what do you think about his blue sky now, Michael? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I, I've been wrong a couple times. But but what what made him even have interest in that path specifically? You know, he was doing so well in real estate. What what was it specifically in a brand like that, specifically in that space, that drew him to it to even understand there's opportunity when it's something so new to him? Because he saw my reaction to the brand, yeah. sort of like somebody having a Carla for the first time and then, and they tell someone and they tell someone and Lance knew the power of the brand. And that's why it's a giant triangle and the brand is first. Yeah. And we've had a lot of people come and go who've tried to leave their fingerprints and do things. And that's great and we've grown and some things have succeeded, some things haven't, but the brand has remained the same. We're never changing the recipe. We're never changing the way we make it. Um, I could list several brands that have, and in our head, we were really excited about yeah, like, driving yeah. somewhere and getting yeah. a fresh hot donut, and now they're at Walmart. You can't, but we have pivoted because we figured out a way to create Garrett Mix and Cheese Corn's cousin, and we've launched in grocery now, which yeah, is something amazing. we're really proud of. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I'm excited to actually have access to that when you get. Well, and that's it, because not everybody can get to Chicago or where our other locations are, and we 
we look at the Starbucks model. You can go and you can have a Frappuccino made at a Starbucks and you know what that experience is. But you might be at your Ralph's or your Albertsons and see the Frappuccino four pack on the shelf and go, I can't, I don't wanna go, but I'm gonna bring this home. That's what we've created with Garrett Mix and Cheese Corn in Grocery. How well do you know popcorn now? So like if you were to go try, open up a bag of popcorn from a grocery store and a different brand, are you able to tell like, nope, this is what they're doing wrong? I know exactly what they're doing. And it's, um, I don't love this word, but it's cheap. We're not. And the way we've, why it took us so long to get to grocery is because we were not going to compromise the handcrafted. When you look at other manufacturers now and brands, they're all using our language. But we invented that language because we hand stirred caramel crisp. We hand stirred in a copper kettle. Nobody else is doing that. They're spraying stuff with long syllables and vowels (laughs) on kernels of not so great, potentially GMO. I mean, if you buy a bag of Okie Doke, it fully says GMO kernels. Yeah. I would run. <laughs> so this is this is an interesting challenge when it comes to I think branding and and brand decisions because you're you're limited in what you can communicate always, right? You can only choose to have very few things, you know, resonate with the customer, and that they're actually going to take it in. So. That's going to, it's interesting if, if you know, you're going to be entering new, new markets. Let's say I go to my Gelson's in LA and the Garrett's is there is like thinking about what, what can you do? You know, you're talking to me and you're telling me the difference. And obviously that's a big difference, but then choosing what to communicate when and how and where, right? Like, so is that something you guys are thinking about? Like, in terms of on the packaging. Yep. So you're not going to bother like, cause it's kind of like Carla. We don't, it's not like I, I don't ever spend any time saying, Oh, well I'm paying, you know, I'm using this, this specific Parmesan cheese. It's, I don't, I've never bothered communicating any of that. It's either you'll taste it because I guess the consumer, I mean, I guess health stuff is a little different, right? Like if you want to communicate, we're not using, GMOs or, or whatever the differentiators are with popcorn. It It's a two-word answer. Taste wins. And you know it. For us, and expanding, for instance, we went into a local grocery store called Jewel, Jewel Osco, and they wanted to have us exclusively for, let's just call it 180 days. I don't think it's that long. And then they had some projections based on other popcorn people that they've let in the aisle. And we said, we kind of own Chicago. We think we're going to do better than that. And they said, okay. So they doubled their projection. We did 4X in the first 90 days. How did you, okay, so this is something that we think about because we have to project new things for the first time. At that point, you guys don't really have any concrete numbers of what you would do in a market. So how did you even know what projections made sense? Because our fans are so passionate and we knew that when they saw Garrett on the shelf, it would feel familiar. It would feel like, oh my God, is this real? And we are, we believe in hustling hard and remaining humble. Brett had a track coach that used that phrase a lot. And that's the way we've pursued it quietly. We could have entered a long time ago. It didn't feel right. We want our Chicago fans exclusively to understand the difference between a shop experience and a grocery experience. When we come to LA, 
we're not opening brick and mortar. I mean, we ship the same day we cook and we send tins all over North America and a ton come to LA and a ton come to the industry. But when we go to, when you go to your Gelson's and you see Garrett, you're gonna go, oh, I saw that on this TV show or I remember the modern family when she's in O'Hare and she dumps the entire tin over her head. We've never paid for product placement and I believe you're gonna, your brand's gonna end up the same way. Carla is going to be a part of LA life right now. So if someone wants to like shoot something that's relevant and current, that's why they're going to use Carla. And they've used that in Chicago in, in so many shows. We're just honored to have directors and people think of us when they think of Chicago. Something stuck out to me earlier when you said that Lance is high finance, low romance. But I think at the same time, he relies on your romance to kind of, he uses that as its own data point, right? <laughs> like, so even though he, he wasn't thinking about how, I think making that decision with Garrett about uh, maybe his connection to it, but he was like, there's something there. Something if, there. If, if Megan is feeling that, yeah. and he, it seems like he knows how to capture that as its own set of data. Absolutely. It, be, it just, it's all numbers to him. But for me, it's all smiles and cheesy fingers and people telling us, you know, people have gotten engaged in line at a Garrett shop, you know, and people talk about, you know, there's an article written about a woman's father who died and she was really having, she was angry. She said, I wasn't sad, I was angry. And I was sitting at O'Hare waiting to board a flight and I looked to my left and I saw a Garrett shop. And that was my dad's favorite thing. And she said, then my anger pivoted to a different emotion. So we don't take that lightly because when you enter people's homes, you are a part of their family. And that is something that we're really proud of. Yeah, that's amazing. All right, so let's pivot to your family, I guess. <laughs> so Garrett is 2006. Hannah is born what year? 92. L95 and Brett, our bonus baby, as we affectionately call her, in 2000. Wow. And you were, how old were you when Hannah was born? 28. As soon as you guys had your first kid, what's kind of going through you and Lance's mind? <laughs> God, this is so, oh, I can't believe you're asking this question. It was the great uh, the savings and loan debacle in the real estate business. Lance closed, shuttered his office, moved into, we lived in a condo in Lake Barrington Shores. He moved into an upstairs bedroom as his office. And, you know, the world was in a crazy place. And no one knew where they were going to get financing. No one knew what they were going to do with this whole savings and loan thing. He would literally put his robe on in the morning, go upstairs, and just work his tail off and then come down at like six o'clock at night and he'd still be in his robe, having never left the office, just like drinking coffee all day. So when we had Hannah, you know, I say this to all my daughters, um, Lance passed the trailer test for me that you could get rid of everything you own and move into a, like a mobile home and live with that person the rest of your life. And so that's been my criteria. And I said that to him then. I'm like, what do we need to sell? What do we need to do to make you feel safe? You know, I don't care where we live. Mm -hmm. And we've ridden a lot of highs and lows like that together and have tried to shield the girls from the lows, mm -hmm. but not 
but letting them know that that is life. You know, one of the things that I think we've been really good at is letting them fail while they're under our roof. Mm -hmm. Because we've seen a lot of kids that their parents were afraid of them failing and then they get to college and they last about three weeks at their chosen university and end up coming home and going to a local college. It's not a criticism, but your kid needed to know how to get outside of their comfort zone before that and bump against it and maybe not have a success mm -hmm. and then rebound and then push their comfort zone again. So that was really important to us. And that was my job. I chose to, I kept my real estate license current. I would do some small deals on the side for Lance, but I really wanted to be Marge in charge and the mother of these three amazing girls. So to get them to get comfortable failing, that means you probably, you had to push them to take on challenges. Completely. For instance, and Hannah and Elle would repeat this um, with, from the top of a mountain, I made both Hannah and Elle go on moon dance, which is an outward bound excursion mm -hmm. in Colorado. If anyone knows Hannah Chody, there is no one less outdoorsy <laughs> on the planet but I wanted her to go. Was she like that out of the womb? Yeah. Yeah. She's a lefty. She sucked her thumb until she was seven. She wanted braces. And I said, well, you can get braces when you stop sucking your thumb. And I made the orthodontist say that to her. So then she stopped sucking her thumb. But I, I liked that they had to try these things. She didn't like sleepovers. And I thought, what, how can I throw her in a situation that is going to be safe but really tax her? And she credits it as one of the most important times of her life. And then all three daughters did a stint in Switzerland in eighth grade because we wanted them to be a citizen of the planet, not of a zip code. Mm -hmm. um, you're only as, your mind is only as open as what you see and what you're exposed to. Yes, we're blessed to be able to do that. But, you know, Brett also... Um, her senior year, when she was injured, decided to make lunches for the homeless. And we had this whole, she went grocery shopping, she made sandwiches, she bought juice boxes, and she would deliver them to this homeless shelter on the naval base in Waukegan. Because our town is very privileged, but we are sandwiched by blight on the north and the south. You don't have to drive to the south side of Chicago. We have desperation quite near to us. Mm -hmm. And we were big about going like to a taqueria in one of those communities so that they wouldn't be afraid of it. We wanted them to experience things like that and be a bigger, have bigger thoughts and understand their place on the planet. Mm -hmm. So Hannah's born and by, nat by nature it seems was more glitzy and like wanted to live the high life. What was Elle like? Oh, my God. She was a demon baby. She's, she had colic until she was 18 months old. I used to put her in the center of a king-size bed because she couldn't stop crying, and I would just walk away, and I would be like, I just don't know what to do. And then she pivoted, and she is the sweetest human, kind, gentle, funny, interesting just an amazing human but was a really rough baby and that's why there was such a big uh, age gap before <laughs> Brett <laughs> what is the age gap right, between you and Elle I'm five years from Elle and eight from Hannah okay and then so then you have Brett and then uh so what was Brett like since 
since birth? What could you tell? She was a very big baby. She was born at 38 weeks. I just turned 38 weeks and went into labor, and she was 9 pounds, 4 ounces. And she just came out and was just raring to go. Super sweet baby, um, very talkative, easy to be around. I don't know how widely this is going to be spread, but definitely my mother's favorite. She used to just sit in my mom's lap. My mom would bring brown bear, brown bear, what do you see, over and over again to her. But, you know, my mother did not, being the staunch Catholic, and she had two children. What are you doing rolling the dice and having a third? She was really mad at me. And she really didn't like my name. Yeah, she did not like. She said, they're going to call her a brat. And I was like, okay, thanks. And then this is a funny story that very like Brett. Um, My mother insisted on being called grandmother. So both Hannah and Elle learned to pronounce grandmother quite early. Brett was like, Guppy. And so Brett nicknamed her Guppy, and we called her Guppy until she departed in 2009. And Brett really cracked the armor of my Iowa-born, Irish Catholic, grumpy, conditional mother. What, what do you think it was about Brett? I think it was because she was unexpected. Hannah and Elle were already going to school. They were doing swim lessons or swim team. They had other interests. And then here is this new human that d- demanded some attention. And I loved the grandparent role in our house. My mother was a kindergarten teacher and she read to them all the time and I think that's really shaped who they are as learners and how they treat the world and their environment and then the rule in our house was you couldn't get your ears pierced until you could read a certain book to my mother. (laughs) Everyone had their own book? No it was called Little Bear it was a Maurice Sendak book and maybe they had it memorized but we didn't care. (laughs) No I don't think I did I was like proud to read it to you guys I remember I did it on the balcony of Archivoscane condo. How old were you? Do you remember? I was in first grade. So it seems like you had these values that you knew you wanted to instill in your kids. But, and something Brett and I were talking about was wondering how much of it was conscious conversations that you were having with Lance about, like, this is what we need to do, and how much of it just was just natural. I craved a family from as long as I can remember. And so it was really important to me individually. Um, I like to call Lance the funder in chief. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, the CEO of the house because um, I've, we all know crappy kids, right? We see entitled, spoiled children and yes, we would spoil them at times, but Lance and I, again, didn't come from much. We just sold our chi- their childhood home right now. This is apropos as well. But home is where we are as a unit. I don't want them to be tied to seeking happiness from material things because I think everybody is seeking happiness, but it really is from within and then spreading that joy to others. We have another mantra in the house that it's cool to be kind. With three girls, we have a lot of girl drama over the years, and I just wouldn't tolerate unkindness. Yeah, but I want to put in my own two cents about something you said. When like, I don't think you guys ever spoiled us. I think we were privileged in the lifestyle we had, but I don't ever feel like 
I'm so grateful, or I am personally so grateful for everything you've given, but I've never felt like a super spoiled kid because I feel like we worked for everything that we were given and we were told no, like so many times. Oh my gosh, Hannah will still talk about she wanted to coach purse. And I'm like, absolutely (laughs) not. And then we talk about it now and she's like, oh, thank God you didn't let me buy that. But this is a fun story. Um, Another fan of Carla, Gwyneth Paltrow. I remember lying in bed reading either like Vanity Fair or W or Esquire and it was an interview with Gwyneth Paltrow and she talked about her father had just passed and she said that her dad made a conscious decision to take her to Paris first because he wanted her to see Paris with a man who would always love her. Oh my god. And I'm sobbing reading this and Lance is like you know on his calculator doing something over there like read this and it 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 hit, I think that's when parenting females for Lance really hit. And he did that with all three girls. He took them all individually, just the two of them. I wasn't involved. I didn't choose restaurants, nothing. He ended up at the bar Hemingway really late most nights. And the girls would end up calling me back in the state. We don't know where dad is. <laughs> I'm like, go down to the bar. You'll find him. But for me, that really, like, that, I'm so glad I read that, and I'm so glad that she shared that because uh-huh. I, I think having only females, the dad can be a satellite, and we can be this little nucleus, and he just runs around us, mm-hmm. but that really brought him in, and he has shared that. You know, He has a passion for wine, and he has shared that with all three daughters as well, and that started in Paris. But I think to Brett's point, I can attest at least spending time with Brett. It's like you instill the right balance of letting them experience things, right, that they're lucky to experience. But they they didn't – at least I know I know Brett well, right, but but she doesn't have a sense of entitlement or, you know, or being spoiled, I think. I mean, she has her things. Like, she needs to get her yes. own stuff. <laughs> but That's a whole nother podcast, Star. <laughs> I have expensive tastes, but at the same time, I have my humble beginnings of my allowance from my mom. And she never, she never got a dollar more for four years. None of my kids did at their university. If they ran out of their monthly stipend, like figure it out. So for the most part, the the parenting style and like the values being instilled was more you taking charge of yeah I mean it worked and Lance then was taking Garrett from four shops to 50 shops around the world so that took a little time and that yeah, took some uh, time away from home and I almost count that as a blessing because I had a lot more time with my daughters directly and we just made it work especially this yeah. one I spent a ton of time with her Brett's high school was sort of funny because she was such a high performance athlete and kids didn't really although they liked her in the hallways at school she was on homecoming court she was on the prom court the phone didn't ring after school because she didn't party like a lot of high schoolers and people were like their parents would always say well what's Brett Chody doing and then those kids are like I don't want to hear about Brett Chody right like the adults and the teachers at her school, she has tremendous relationships with. But rather than fighting City Hall, Brett and I were like, forget it. Just come with me. We'll go to, we went on vacations together. My senior year was so hilarious. I went on like so many vacations. And I remember I had missed 
I hadn't missed like so much school, but I'd missed enough that the dean's office like wrote a letter to my mom and she was like, look at her grades. I had all A's. So it's like, okay, I was in Milan with my parents, but like at least I was back to like take the test or whatever. Yeah. And I think I made her call two of your teachers and say, has Brett's absence hindered her performance in high school? No. So, but I'm grateful for that too. I remember this. I just want to interject this because it's a funny story. So it was like our turnabout dance my junior year. And that's the one where like girls ask guys. But I actually didn't go with the date because for whatever reason. And then there was a post party at this guy's house. And like some guys in high school just like weren't that nice to me for different reasons. And I literally, I was, I've always been confident and I knew my place. I knew that I should be invited to turn about but my friends who weren't really great friends were like we don't really know we heard that there might be like a list and like you might not be on it I was like okay what I go straight up to the guy hosting I'm like I- I'm coming right like I I can come and he was like oh no like there's not enough room like such like such an ass and I was like okay I call my mom I'm like not I don't know. Was I crying? I don't really think so. I think I was just like, okay, well, that's stupid. And we went home, made popcorn and Aperol spritzes and watched Friends on the couch. And that was my post turnabout junior year. <laughs> and, and you didn't have any internal angst as you were doing that. You were totally content. I mean, I obviously, my feelings were hurt because people at the high school, like they loved to say they were my friends. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the day, like especially girls, like couldn't like vouch for me and be like, wait, no you're coming you know which like in a small town like Lake Forest like a lot of people get fed up or get caught up with like oh who's hosting the party I don't want to like make him mad or like whatever so obviously like I was upset but I wasn't like going home and crying about it like I was like okay mom like here we are again (laughs) what's that like as a mom when you know that like one of your kids is not getting treated well at school I never I never got into it until Brett's high school boyfriend. And he was sort of the last straw and behaved really badly and and set some things in motion that made the rest of her high school really hard. And I was, I gathered all his things and I was driving them to his house. And it just so happens that his dad was in the driveway and I thought, Okay, I don't love conflict, but here we go. And I said, oh, our kids are just deciding to cool it off. These are all jacks things. And he said, well, did anything happen? And I said, well, do you really want to know? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, and then I thought, no, I'm not going to do it. And I said, well, why don't you talk to your son? But the point is, I'd like him to not do what he's told Brett he's planning on doing and his dad said to me oh absolutely not I will not let that happen Mm. and then the boy went ahead and did it and then we were going on a family trip and we were in New York and I Brett found out and was hysterical and I called the dad and it went to voicemail and I was like okay so your son went ahead and did what you told me he wouldn't do and now you won't take my call great parenting and hung up on him and he's and and I'm really believe in being kind but that's one situation where you cross the line with me 
I will smile and nod, but I'm not engaging with you again. Because, and that's what I don't like, that parents that will cover for their kids or say, oh, my kid would never do that. <laughs> my friends say, oh, my, my kids never lie. Yeah, they do. Kids <laughs> lie because their brain isn't developed. Yeah. It's not always malicious. It's just trying to get out of the situation. I mean, kids are going to, like, test lying out. It's like the, the idea that any kid imagine being born and not testing it out. It doesn't make sense. Right. And for parents to just assume that it doesn't happen is... And kids crave boundaries. And if you don't set boundaries, that's when things go awry. Lance has a very good friend with two sons, and he just likes, oh, your girls are so easy. You're so lucky you have girls. And Lance just is like, shut up, dude. We worked our asses off to make them good people. We said no. If they crashed a car, we didn't fix it. So the boundary thing was important. So you think that stuff works? And let me tell you, we failed more than we were successful. Like you, I'm not there's a lot of stuff that I wish I could have done differently. Um, do I raise my voice too quickly? Absolutely. Do I want them to pass that on to the next generation? No way. Um, but I do admit when I'm wrong. There's a Dale Carnegie saying, when you're wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. Mm -hmm. I've tried to do that because I don't think you should look as infallible as a parent. Mm -hmm. Like, people make mistakes. We're human. Shit happens. I think parents make the mistake that they think if I admit I made a mistake, I lose authority, right? And then so, and I don't think, I don't think that has any longevity to it. You know, I do believe in the because I said so, because sometimes you don't need to explain to your children why you're making the decision, like Brett said. But I think the more you let them know that you, you're scared at times, you're sensitive at yeah. times, you don't have all the answers, sometimes you can't, function but you get out of bed and you try your best and one foot in front of the other and I think all three daughters are very tenacious and that is one of my favorite adjectives for all of them. Elle is was a high school all-American swimmer which people can't believe looking at her now but she was in this race once and it was the 200 backstroke so 50 meters four times and her high school boyfriend showed up and she was second only to this girl that is now in the has been in the Olympics twice, but it was just L going. I'm I'm gonna do this, and Brett's done that with running and with her pursuits of of academia, and Hannah taking a job at Goldman in Utah when nobody went to Utah. Mm -hmm. Like she knew not to complain to us about that. She's like, I got an offer from Goldman, and we're like okay uh -huh. and she's like I really don't want to go to Utah and she had a mentor and I said well call um, your mentor and see what he says uh -huh. and he she told him he got her on the phone and he said Megan or uh, Hannah what's the only thing missing from my resume and this guy's done it all and he goes she said Goldman Sachs <laughs> and so he said do it and uh -huh. she went to Utah and had she not gone to Utah she would not have met her current husband so, and again, that was, you know, we could have like gone, oh, well, okay, maybe just stay in LA and get a whatever gig. We were like, no, you don't turn down Goldman Sachs. And then she made it to New York, made it to be a vice president, but that was all because we didn't baby her. It's actually such a big deal. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like the, the fact that she actually went through with it going to Utah. I don't know maybe a lot of women that would have been in her situation knowing that their parents are fine and they would take like financially that they'll be okay financially in their head and to take 
to make that sacrifice of where to live at that age for work. I don't, I don't, I actually still don't understand how. Well, it's not to say that she wasn't mortified. No, but she did. It doesn't matter, of course. Be, being mortified is, is, I think, makes sense in that situation. But, but she went through with it. I, I don't. What, what do you think the building blocks were that that? I think she knows that we've said to whom to mu- to whom much is given, much is is expected, and we knew it was an amazing opportunity. So you're just not gonna, you know. Some people went to war. They didn't get to choose going to war, right? Yeah, but, but, but I grew up in Beverly Hills, right, my whole life. And I don't really have that perspective. I could, I could understand it. I could know it. I can't live it. I can't just because I know people have to go to war necessarily put myself through something strenuous that I don't that I wouldn't understand as a necessity or something I really wanted. Well, I think it was sort of the balance between ego and id, right? Like, I want to work for Goldman Sachs, but I don't want to tell anybody I live in Salt Lake City. <laughs> but look what it opened for her. I know, it's so amazing. And we we didn't ever... We said, you can figure out a way to get to New York. And that was where Lance can be a real hard ass. And that's when he leans in and says, you know, I did a lot of hard things. When I was 22 and I was living at home and I was trying to scrape money together to buy a, an apartment building, um, I knew what I wanted and you have to decide what you wanted. Mm-hmm. And it, it was important to her to be on that trajectory at Goldman and we're lucky that we have snagged her now and taken her out of Goldman and have her working at Garrett Brands. And we love her brain and her enthusiasm and her energy in a family business now. I mean, and then Brett, too, I think on a similar subject, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, or was it a week or two ago, she had a really rough day, right? Like, we won't get into the details it did, but it did include, you know, obviously Chad's dog passing away. But, like, when I was with her, we spent the whole day with her, right? The day and night. But I think what I would have expected of maybe if I was in her shoes of like how long all of that could have lingered and how much it could have maybe destroyed my day versus how well equipped she was to kind of bounce back and keep it moving was pretty incredible. Well, that's Brett in a nutshell. She, um, I don't know if you know this, I was taking L to her semester abroad in Madrid and I got a call in the, my middle of, I don't even know what time it was, and it's Lance saying, I'm at uh, Lurie's Children's Hospital, Brett is having an emergency surgery, and she had had a perforated ulcer. Um, she was running at a very high, intense level, and I'm gonna bear my soul here. She got off the treadmill. Lance was cooking her dinner. He had been to Italy in Chicago, and they were making fish. And Brett, you tell him what you said. I, like, was never one to cry wolf. And I was like, holy shit. Like, my stomach really hurts. But I just finished a six-mile run on the treadmill. I was like, you know what? Maybe food will make me feel better. Like, whatever. But it was, my stomach just felt really weird. And then I finally got to a point where we were sitting. I think he had made, like, sweet potatoes or something. We were waiting for the fish to be done. I was like, Dad, I, like, really don't feel good. Like, whatever. And I was like, I think I need to go to the hospital. And my dad, I mean, like, 
he believed me, but he was like, are you sure? And I didn't want to cry wolf. Like, I didn't want to be that, like, daughter. Imagine you got taken to the hospital and it was just, like, gas. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. No, that's literally literally what he said. He was like, are you sure you just aren't, like, a little bloated? Like, you want, like, gas acts? Like, I was, but I was like, I don't know. And honestly. How did you know? What felt, how did it feel different than just, than normal stomach? Just because it hurt so bad. But I remember being in his car, in his Mercedes, and we're going down our, um, like the town road to the hospital. Hospital is probably like normally like a seven minute drive from our house. He's going like 80 oh, miles yeah, an hour. Yeah, yeah. No I'm like passing out from pain, no I way. think. No like way. I don't remember the car ride, like whatever. And I just remember like after the fact, like laughing about it, that like my mom wasn't there for that yeah. because it's so crazy. But I'm happy I wasn't because I would have been like, shut up and eat your fish. Yeah. Like you, that's how I am. Yeah. And I was actually grateful that Lance was there and then got her what she needed. And then they ambulanced her to the city hospital where they did emergency surgery. You don't live through a perforated ulcer if you don't treat it the night it happens. What? Because yeah. your stomach contents are going everywhere what? in your body. Yes. So she had stuff leaking into her That abdominal. was at risk of taking place? Yes. If, if you guys didn't take it seriously that night? Yes. But I think what she was getting at with starting this story is that I bounced back really quickly mm-hmm. after. I mean, I was in the hospital for a week. I had like a tube up my nose. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't because I had the tube in my stomach. But I, like, bounced back and I had my best track season that spring. Oh, my God. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. So, I mean, part of it, I think, is just, like, kind of who I am. But I also was, like, I was training so hard. And then I was, like, oh, I'm not going to let this, like, ruin my ruin mm-hmm. my season. So, if, like, they weren't hard on me, they would have been, like, oh, no, like, you don't need to. Like, don't push yourself. Like, you just had this surgery. Like, whatever. But, like, because they were kind of, like, we think you should still, like, train and whatever. And I was fine with it, obviously. Like, I think a lot of parents would have been, like, oh, you, whatever. The only thing that they let me stop doing during this time was my piano Piano. lessons. Which you regret now. Which I regret now. I was a really good piano player, but I just... You kind of hate doing it? Yeah, I, like, kind of hated it. And I was, like, you know what? I'm going to use this, like, almost died surgery card to not... To stop piano. And I regret it because I was really good, but whatever. I mean, that's on me. That's the only thing that they let me off. Did it, does everyone pay, play an instrument? Um, we all played piano, all three of us. Oh, yeah. So who's the best not piano? Me. Yeah, well, because I was always like the musical one, which okay. I told you and you were really surprised about, <laughs> the fact that I was a musical theater kid and a singer. Brett's very focused. She went from being a triple th- threat singer dancer and actor to now i'm a and runner literally six weeks of theater camp after eighth grade and then i started cross country in the fall and i was like oh okay i'm not gonna do the i'm not gonna do the musical at the high school i'm gonna run track instead but i think that's what you like about brett and that you see in her in joining your team the ability to pivot the ability to be nimble and not always have what's in it for me totally. and that is something and that was hannah going to Goldman in Utah. You know, it wasn't ideal, but she didn't worry about what's in it for me. She just trusted the process. And, um, you know, Elle's done that too. She went on a different path and went to a different university. She wasn't interested in the USC experience, and she went to Wisconsin and has the greatest friend group and, you know, was a Spanish and poli sci double major and then ended up in derivatives trading. And she taught her, she taught herself the, you know, a 
you know, business school in six weeks and took the series seven or whatever. And, you know, so we are big on back to the comfort zone. Well, what are you going to, what's the worst that can happen, right? And so that was, that was always our mantra too. You know, what's the worst that can happen if you try this? And if you accept the worst and can improve upon it, then you have a plan of action. And that's just how I approach a lot of things, you know, even weird friendship stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but what I was asking about that specifically was if let's say, let's say you didn't like how one of your daughters was getting treated in school and you, you could see their pain. Would you feel pain too? Oh, absolutely. I just, I, I wasn't one of those that cried wolf as Brett says, or I wouldn't go to the teacher until it got really bad. Um, there was a specific teacher at the high school that Hannah had, um, that Elle thought about having and Brett had, and, um, he was just a bully and I had had enough. And I finally, as a teacher, and I called the head of the department and him and we sat down before school one day and I just sort of lined out how he treated Brett in class versus other kids. Mm -hmm. And he just kept saying, well, I'm sorry Brett feels that way. And I'm Uh like, no, 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 you don't get to say that. Uh It's not about Brett feeling this way. It's about your actions. You're the adult. You have the capacity to change. How did you know that what Brett was relaying to you was, in fact, different than how other kids were getting treated? Because she's pretty, she doesn't look, she doesn't look for drama. And Hannah had had the teacher. And Hannah was just much more head down, get the five on the AP test, suck it up, know that he's a jerk, and move on. She never, Hannah would be mortified if I went in but and Hannah talked. But Hannah also only had her her sophomore year, and he treats his kids in the AP class very different. Yes. Well, it, it was just, I wanted the meeting with somebody else, and you could tell that the head of the Spanish department is like, like I was saying stuff, and she's like, thank God someone's finally saying it. Because parents always gripe about my kids not getting an A, or I didn't, it wasn't about that. It was about just human mistreatment. Mm-hmm. And why are you doing it? Why are you in this profession if that's your gig? How would you handle if one of your daughters, let's say Brett, started dating someone you didn't approve of? I, I think that you kind of have to let it ride. It has to become their idea that they realize okay. that they're not the right person. I believe my mother was never nice to any of my boyfriends until Lance entered the picture. Really? Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> and I didn't, I always want people to feel welcome in our home. And so I always err on the side of kindness and interest in the other people, person and bringing them into our world. But if you, again, there's this invisible fencing. If you cross the line with a chody and you, you know, hurt them emotionally, physically, whatever, then you're dead to me. And then I would get in and intervene. But so there's a line where you know you you could intervene and that it would still play out favorably and not backfire. Oh, it's it's backfired every time. Uh, We had a terrible experience with Hannah's first high school boyfriend, and I called him on a behavior. He (laughs) proceeded to break up with her. She told me I wrecked her life. I didn't sleep the whole night, but it, you know, the truth always comes out, right? Yeah. And then her friends came in the next day and said, well, he's been cheating on you um, with L, another high school boyfriend. You know, you, you kind of have to let this stuff ride because you can't control everything. You know, we all think we can, but um, 
I think I'm always nice until it gets to the point where Brett's hidden the most from me. Even though we're, we're sort of the closest, she also likes to, sh use, like to shield me from things. I mean, I know things now about a certain relationship that I was not privy to. And for me, it's a point of strength. Like, if you want me to mother properly, I need to be fed the real information. Uh -huh. I can't have another parent of a, whoever you're dating know more about a situation than I can. Uh -huh. So that's where I get. <laughs> what is that? But it's okay. We got, we, we got through it. And we've had a lot of boyfriends, and they're all lovely, and they're all, you know, no axe murderers. And we wish, we wish them well. And, you know, I think Brett's looking forward to dating, and Hannah's married, and I think Ella's found her person, and I feel very I lucky for it's that. A, it's a big deal, right? I think, like, something Jessica and I, we talk about all the time, where we feel really lucky. Um, but we see how hard dating is for people right now. Um, and so when we saw also who Hannah ended up with, Chad, it was just such a, you know, I don't know. We don't we don't see a lot of people making sound decisions <laughs> in relationships right now. And so that was like just another thing of it seemed like a, another point of strength, uh, a, a, you know, that I would tribute to you got your guys parenting that she ended up with someone so sound and stable and great and kind and hardworking. Those are the real qualities you want to look for in a partner. <laughs> Not necessarily, and when Brett's unhinged, I'm just like cringing because it's all how they look or what their poor picture looks like. And I'm like, oh, give that one a chance. And Brett's like, absolutely not. But, um, you know, good people find each other. You guys, you, Jess, and Brett have found each other because of shared values and shared interests. And you, you connect at the heart level, not just superficially. And I think there are people out there that really want to have that happen. And I hope it happens for this one. I can't imagine. I don't, I think, I don't see Brett making any. I don't see her making a poor decision date. Well, she's busy working for Carla Cafe right now, so she doesn't really have time to date. Yeah, but also secondarily, we, we would, we'd give her some input. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'd give her honest. And, and she's at a place which I think it, it's a strength is that she wouldn't get defensive. Like she could take input and just, okay. It doesn't mean you need to act on it. It's just... You absorb it without getting defensive and and you know deflecting it away. So well, any news that you and Jess deliver is pretty easy to take because I think you both are super genuine people, and I'm really proud and happy that Brett has landed where she has, and she can use her time and talent. Oh, we feel so lucky. <laughs> we do. I mean, it was a crazy idea on our part, really. If you think, <laughs> if you think about it, the the so like it the. I remember we were on a, Brett has met uh, our best friend, Mike. And I remember like being like the first time being on a walk. Maybe I, I might've been high. I don't know. <laughs> 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 and, and we were on a walk and, uh, and I, I think I remember sharing the idea with them. I think I, at first the, the Brett idea was um, really loving how she was running Brett's bites and the, there was like a lightness to how she was covering things. And I was, you know, I was thinking Carla needs to be a little more active. And I, and I don't know if I necessarily can be that voice consistently. And that Brett could maybe cover some things in this 
lighter way that I think resonates with the Carla brand, you know, of being positive. It started off as just that. And then, and then I was like, but that's not enough. I can't, I can't make a role based on that, you know? And then, so then the thought was, okay, well, let's start looking at in general, what are all of our holes of like what we need? Like if you, like over there on the whiteboard right now, we have like the holes of like what we want someone for a GM ops role. But then we had all these other things that didn't fall into that category. And I'm like, I think we could give Brett a shot to do all this because, because like some of it is, you know, just branding things and how we want to develop this brand into other things of not just being food, you know, and, 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 but Brett has that, you know, she's living it day to day of like, of, of the lifestyle and, and consuming the foods and the, and the drinks and just everything in a, in a way that she would understand the bar we'd want to hit in all those areas, right? From seeing how she was running her account, at like, and just the, the day-to-day structure of, like, you would see how she wakes up and starts her morning early and is, like, we'll go get her workout in and then we'll get her work done and we'll organize, what, like, her how she's going to pack for a trip. And then, so it was all these qualities that we knew that like weren't strengths for Jess and I, like, and, and me particularly, I, I, I don't live, I live in a more like creative, less structured world. I thought Brett bringing that structure was what we needed. It gives you the freedom to contain, continue to live and thrive in your world. hundred percent. Because like, I need to live in that world of like, creativity that a lot of the time is in my mind and I could do doing things in short stints and I but I can't I can't ever stop like to me it would kill me if I had to stop and get into like doing like you know the same things over and over again and not that Brett even needs to do that in her role which is like pretty great but I but what I get a chance is I get have these whirlwinds of ideas and when something is like we need to do something about this but but I might have all these other responsibilities the next day that wouldn't allow me to like do something with that idea. I just get to like shoot it off to Brett and be like, this is something we need to do something with this. And then we, and the way she structures it is like, eventually we're going to get to it and we're actually going to work on it. You know, I'm really proud of like what we've done so far in terms of like the first step for us is getting an architect and like how I think the process has been for us to find the architect I mean, it might seem like a small thing, but for me, like the way that we executed that so far as a team and like I think the path we're headed on, like finding the right person, I'm really proud of how we executed that. And I think if we take that on to everything else we do, you know, I think we're going to be able to continue to do things right. So, so far, it's a, a credit to Brett. Credit to me for taking the chance. <laughs> I was just going to say that you're you're offering what, and this is what I appreciate about both you and Jess is that you could just be living in your head and like, this is a really big thing that you guys have done in a short amount of time, but your ego isn't ahead of your passion, and so you're opening up the space for collaboration, mm-hmm. and nothing gets done without collaboration. And so she's your brand support center, and you get to be the one with the you know the cloud above your head and mm-hmm. new ideas and avenues that maybe you guys haven't even thought of. But 
I think it's a testament to you and Jess for opening that space and giving Brett the opportunity to, you know, shine. And you're not going to get a harder worker. I think she is shining, and I think, like, I think it, we're just going to get better at it, you know? I think we'll – so – but it's a great start. And it's a damn good sandwich. <laughs> Can I end on that note? Yeah. Thank you Thank for you your parenting you. that has given us a great team member and a great friend and someone we're so happy to have in our lives. And now we're so happy to have you and the rest of your family, Lance, Hannah, Elle, and we'll get to know all you guys better and we're excited about it. Thank and you. Thank you for getting on. Yay. Yay.